It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. One of the most highly anticipated cards of the year, and to join me and just to discuss this particular wrestling's evenings of wrestling, wrestling evenings, evenings of wrestling, Mr. John Dinsdale of um, Worldwide Wrestling, like me, as we both are now, of Worldwide Wrestling. We can say that now. We've done enough for it to be done stuff. It's a thing now. Would you like to reveal your official position? Well, I'm supposed to be the second in command, but like I have a feeling I'm just going to be doing a bit of everything. Mostly, uh, arguably, up where I left off at the <laughs> Arguably, yes, I have a feeling we probably go as well. I'm the managing editor of uh, Worldwide Wrestling. I believe you're the deputy editor of Worldwide Wrestling. Are you the deputy editor? I think that's the official title. I yes. never remember it. I don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of in strategic positions, if you will, in the organisation under Steph Franchon, our fearless leader. Um, but yes, and she very thankfully got me onto the pre-show um, talk, the media call, which was exactly as you think it would be, because all of the people you follow on Twitter are on there talking. You get to hear the voices. You can't hear them on a podcast already. Bix says something mildly controversial. Everyone complains about it. <laughs> but bearing in mind that like the WWE one that they did to today for um, uh, Money in the Bank had some of the most sycophantic questions. I think Tom, one of our uh, writers, Tom, was saying some of the most sycophantic questions he's ever read in his life. <laughs> so, uh, you know, okay. the AEW one's a cakewalk by comparison of interest and in-depth analysis. Anywho... Uh, we had a lot of stuff. And this show, to show how big this show is, this show opened with an AEW World Championship match. We're going to brush over Zero Hour because I haven't watched it. Um, and, and because we wanna, we've got loads of stuff to talk about. And it features arguably the ultimate heel in North American wrestling versus the ultimate babyface in Japanese wrestling. MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. 15 minutes and 46 seconds. MJF retains... Arguably, you don't watch MJF matches for the quality of the professional wrestling. Not to say he's bad, but he's he's not your like five star hour long grinder. He is not paid by the hour. He's an in and out kind of guy. Do does what it says on the tin, get stuff done kind of wrestler. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that more and more as this guy, this show went on. To be honest with you, this did what it needed to do and got out of the way quick because the Rosh Tanashi isn't going to be defending the AEW World of Great Championship on telly this time. Every week, is he because he's needed elsewhere? What's your thoughts on this one, John? It was a smart move to open the like the card with this because obviously, if you're not the main event, you usually want to be in the first match. So, having a world champion there fighting off Hiroshi Tanahashi, arguably one of the most popular wrestlers in Japan, is a good way to go about it. Plus, you just had all the sort of typical like MJF salt of the earth i'm a bastard villain antics against hiroshi tanahashi taking none of it it was just really fun and yeah mjf is that sort of champion much in the same vein as okada where you can just build off him 
he has his tricks, but he will often work to like base his self around his opponents until he twats them in the face with a ring. Which is what happened here. And why the match came to an abrupt and sudden halt. Um, but there you go. Uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. It doesn't, I mean, Hiroshi Tanahashi can do pretty much anything he likes these days. He wrestles who he wants to. Um, and doesn't mind losing because it, it's not going to hurt him because he's freaking Hiroshi Tanahashi. So you can slot him in where you need him to. And this was a good example of how to do that. Plus, he was supposed to wrestle for the, AW, the AW World Champion last year in CM Punk. And he didn't get to face the reigning champion, did he? He got to challenge for the title against Moxley. So in, in a in a, in a decider match, in a one contenders match. So he can say he wrestled for the AW World Heavyweight Championship, which is nice. I like that it's a circular story. But obviously MJF has other th- other burdens to cook with, hasn't he, at the moment? So this was a, a nice little championship aside, but I didn't think it was going to be the main meat of the day. Shall uh, we move it was on? a good... Yeah, it's the best way to open things because people love to cheer and boo MJF and obviously nobody in the house is going to boo Tanahashi. No, unless he's in Tokyo wrestling um, Shinsuke Nakamura, which he wasn't, so it was fine. Um, Next up, intriguing match this. Um, This was the match Tony Khan said he was really looking forward to and the one he wanted to book which I'm not completely convinced about. CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima. Now, obviously, the obvious thing to do is CM Punk versus Kenta. But there's a bit of a classic political conundrum with that particular match, which we'll talk about after we've watched this match, because let's give this match its due first. Satoshi Kojima has never really lost a step in the last five years. Though he was obviously downgraded to being a bit part player in New Japan Pro Wrestling, let's be honest. When he's gone off excursion to all Japan and to Noah, he's been the star of the show, left, right, and center. And he comes back to New Japan, and he does what he does for New Japan. They need someone to go and wrestle CM Punk, so he's quite happy to go wrestle CM Punk. And he was over with the fans, like proper over for a guy who's, let's be honest, 10 years past his main event prime, and he's wrestling CM Punk, arguably the most popular wrestler in North America today with certain people, not necessarily in Toronto, as we discovered, because it was a bit of a mixed response for CM Punk. Um, but Kojima was definitely over in this match, and I thought this was really good. High-quality stuff, um, as as did people in cage match. They gave it 7.45. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, I struggle to have a complaint with this. I like that CM Punk is sort of leaning into the fact that people are really on the fence, like, torn on him. So he can just have that like assholeish attitude while still not being like MJF levels of toxic. So he's there trying, like, obviously playing around Kojima, mocking him, and obviously Kojima's not going to take that lying down and starts battering the shit out of him. But you've got this really classic style, enjoyable match with Kojima landing the Bakayoro elbow on Punk's dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, I understand it's an accident, but my God, that looked flush. It did. It was. It was snug into he the even, crotch. Like I knew it had happened before I even seen the match because he tweeted out like my el- It seems my elbow landed on CM Punk's dick. It wasn't intentional. I am not a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> he did it's actually. Use like, the, you know, he actually used the word cock. That was what he yeah. said. Yes. 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 
Um, I am not a bad man. But the previous day, he said a promo that got translated badly and said he wanted to kill CM Punk. And he had to apologize for that. I said, I did not mean to say kill. I think it was a translate. It was done badly. So he just, he's, not, he's, not gone, he's not gone well for Kojima. But everyone loved him for it because he's Kojima. And they gave him loads of bread. He took pictures just, of the bread. He was, they were like, oh, heartwarming. Yeah. Like, Kojima is like much like Hiroshi Tanahashi. He is just universally beloved. Yeah. Like, sure, Noah wrestlers might hate him, but like, fans love Kojima. And he uh, is just like this wholesome, horrifically na- like violent wrestler. <laughs> I mean, arguably, all Japan wrestlers don't like him because he did leave them in the lurch to go back to New Japan Pro Wrestling when the money dried up. However, you know. That was water under the bridge these days. He does go back there and they don't hate him. So there's that. Um, Miyahara was having a showdown with Minoru Suzuki the other week in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Because I think I think Suzuki's in the... Or he was... It was I think he was going to go for the Championship Carnival tournament this year. Which would be interesting. Because he hasn't done a tournament in a while. Anywho, shall we move on? Oh no, we're going to talk about the match that it wasn't. So obviously, the match that everybody wants to see is Kenta versus CM Punk, which didn't happen. And I have a feeling I know why, because A, it'd have to be for the New Japan Strong Championship, which Punk won't want because it'll tie him up. Um, And he can't really defend it, and then he'd have to drop it to somebody else. Um, And Kenta would also probably need to lose that match because CM Punk wouldn't want to, like, lose any heat. Or at least AEW don't want CM Punk to lose any heat. And, of course, the the finisher for Punk is the go to sleep, which was invented by Kenta, who doesn't want to, like, get pinned by his own finisher, I would assume. Um, So it's likely never to happen. And I'm not sad about that. I don't think it's the I don't think it's the the match it could have been back in the day. I think it'd still be great, but I think sometimes I think things are left on the best left the on the Anaconda table. Vice. Sorry, like the Anaconda Vice exists for this very reason. It's a possibility. Like, I was amazed they didn't use the Anaconda Vice on Kojima. He did. He did. I didn't think he. I thought he did try, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. He didn't get it into it, though, did he? I think it did. It was in like typical New Japan submission fashion where it lasted all of two seconds and it was broken out of. All oh, right, okay, because yeah, because that's obvious, like because he stole it from Tenzo. <laughs> but yes, I don't know. It's intriguing. Let's just move on then. What is your thought? Actually, what's your thoughts on Kenta versus Punk? Do you think it will ever happen? I think eventually it has to. It's one of those matches where. There's always going to be a demand for it. As long as Punk is wrestling, there is going to be a demand for that match. As long as Kenta is wrestling, there's going to be a demand for that match. Whether it's worth all the hype, fanfare, and demand is any up to anyone's guess. But I'd, I'd like to see it happen. Even if it is just some like diluted political mess. <laughs> Just so that we can say it happened and the universe can move on. Fair enough. All right, then. Let's let's move on itself to the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy defeated Daniel Garcia, Katsuyori Shibata, Zack Sabre Jr. 11 minutes and 15 seconds in a fairly predictable match. That's not to say it wasn't entertaining. As you know, four ways are not my thing. Um, And 
Orange Cassidy and Zack Sabre Jr. is an absolute joy any time you see them together, as it is Katsuri Shibata. Daniel Garcia is still building his legacy in this kind of company, but he is an exceptionally good and talented wrestler, but he didn't really do an awful lot of wrestling in this match. It was more bumping and grinding and, and, and some trying to break people out of pinfall attempts and some defensive stuff, which is not his best look, but it's a look. Let's put it that way. 11 minutes and 15 seconds. What did you think of this one? I loved this. This was just absolute explosive fun because you've got like two of the nastiest strikers ever. Because when Zack Sabre Jr. throws hands, he throws hands, as does Shibata. Cassidy can work with anyone. Cassidy could work with a mop and it'd be brilliant. Garcia is one of my favorite independent wrestlers gone AEW guys because he's just there to have, like, he's having fun. He can wrestle his socks off when he needs to. And he's there as the, you knew he was going to take the pin. You knew he was the fall guy, but he was <laughs> going out swinging. And yeah, just everyone was had this hilarious chemistry of one-upmanship. Zach complained about his music and his entrance, which was hilarious. And he's just, yeah, throwing out all these insults to everyone as he's wrestling. Seeing Shibata wrestle again, like, he hasn't missed a step. Like, he wasn't away for, like, several years because of a debilitating brain hematoma. It's just... It's ethereal, seeing this. And, yeah, again, I just had a load of fun with this. I think so, too. I mean, I would much rather have seen Orange Cassidy versus Daniel Garcia and Shibata versus Zack Sabre Jr., to be honest with you. But oh, well, wishing won't make I'm looking it forward so. to the day. I'm looking forward to the day we get Shibata, Zack Sabre Jr. in just a straight-up singles match. Yeah. Half of it will be, like, both of them tied up in knots, and the other half of them just slapping the absolute shit out of each other. Um, let's move on to the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match, which... <laughs> this had disaster Not written fun. all over it. Not well, I'd say it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't an IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match at the level it needs to be for the prestige of that championship, was it? It lasted ten think, minutes. I don't think you could do that kind of match with just the two wrestlers here. Then if, like, <laughs> if they pulled the sort of ending angle. At the beginning of this match, you'd have mm. had something we could have cooked with. But yeah. essentially, this just boiled down to two baby faces having a, a bit of a scrap. Well, this is the trouble. is like, Sonata went out the week before and said he'd... I hope I hand out an open challenge for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship and all I get is Jack Perry, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. Um... And Jack Perry's response was, well, I've never watched a Sonata match. Either. <laughs> it was just like, well, that's, that's not good. Now is it, really? Um, so you're challenging for a championship you don't care about. That's, that's just, it was just, it was just, it's the only thing on this card that was really badly executed from beginning to end. Not that the match was particularly bad. Jack Perry's a perfectly capable wrestler of having main event standard wrestling, but this is the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. It should be more to it. Even if you only got 10 minutes, you should put more into it than they put into it. Um, and the big issue is Jack Perry and, and Hook breaking up at the end. And it's nothing to do with the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. So just a lot of it just doesn't 
don't compute. And sometimes you have to do bad booking to get out of things and stuff. But you could have had, equally, you could have had Sonata and Dookie versus Jack Perry and Hook and done the same thing and made it interesting. Yeah. Or just not add an IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match on this card and do something else instead. Just five guys versus somebody else. I suppose they had to have it, though, didn't they? Like, with every other title basically being defended, it was like, right, we've got to have this one. So it's like... Well, yeah, you say that, but Dave Finlay, the leader of Bullet Club, was not there. Mm, Just saying. Yeah, that's a bit weird. The never open weight champion wasn't there. Yeah, the US championship on the line. The all of the the Ring of Honor TV champion, the Ring sorry, yeah, the Ring of Honor Pure champion, the New Japan TV champion, and the AEW International champion were all in the same match. So all the singles championships were, were kind of tied up except for the Never Open Point Championship. And like he's your new big bad heel and you can't get him on the biggest card of the year. Hmm. I realised Sorry, no, I'm I mean, wondering if there was visa issues or something. It's just, but then again, no, because every other fucker's on here. Where was he? I was going to say, Dave lives in Florida, so it can't have been that. <laughs> He's an American. He was born, well, he was born in Georgia. He wrestled for Georgia State. <laughs> so he wouldn't like, you know. Yeah, the more you mention it, the weirder it seems. It just, it's like, yeah, I mean, and the, the obvious thing you could have, I mean, the obvious thing there would be, Dave and uh, Dave Finley and um, oh, I'm trying to think of oh Dave Finley and Ujiro say or Dave Finley and Evil versus uh, Jay White and um, Juice Juice as because they're non-affiliated Bullet, Bullet Club they're outlaws they're not of the Bullet Club family so you know that's the obvious thing to do. I was really surprised Jay White wasn't on this card actually just yeah. in general. Yeah. In fact, yeah, give, they could have just given us Sonata versus Jay White. That would have been a proper match. Yeah, to give the, I mean, I suppose Jay's trying to get, mind you, yeah, you could argue, you could say that Jay was run out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's not allowed to wrestle from a New Japan show anymore. So you can't have him in that sense. And Juice is also barred from New Japan shows as well. So. You could have had Sonata versus Adam Cole. Yeah. Or anyone I love oh, Jungle. Oh. Well, Jack Perry, can't call him Jungle Boy anymore. But, like, I don't know, he just felt out of place here. It, it was... just didn't, yeah, it just didn't work. I mean, just, uh, um, Again, it's I... not that it was a bad match. It just felt like it was lacking something compared to, like, everything we'd seen to that point. Yeah. Even some of the sort of zero hours matches had more fire to them and sort of substance than this one and it didn't have a, none of them had a world heavyweight title on the line <laughs> shall we move on to the next match sir oh now if you're just... talking fire <laughs> yeah well this had fire oh i live for this this was the best match on the card until this point um the elite adam page matt jackson nick jackson along with eddie kingston and tommy hiroishi Defeated Blackpool Combat Club, Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Kinsiki Takeshita, and Shota Umino in 21 minutes and 29 seconds. Now, the layup for this was Blackpool Combat Club versus The Elite, and that's 
going to be the story going forward. Eddie Kingston is still kind of friends with John Moxley, but does not trust Claudio Castagnoli because he's never trusted Claudio Castagnoli because the rule of professional wrestling is you don't trust Claudio Castagnoli. And as we've proven, we shouldn't have trusted Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, Tomori Ishii was in the team because Eddie said, I don't like him, but I respect him. And he doesn't like me, but he respects me. So we'll have him. And thus we go forward. And it was one of Ishii's, like, Ishii was in superb chaos motion moment. And the tag team wrestling in this was crisp, as you'd expect with the Young Bucks in the match. And Castagnoli, Moxley, Yuta, Tikishita, and Ono were just absolutely bang on perfect all the way through this. 21 minutes and 29 seconds. Love this match. Because the best story in wrestling is still, after 20 years, Claudio Agnoli, Claudio Agnoli versus Eddie Kingston. And Eddie's going to take that ring on a World Heavyweight Championship. And the pop when he does, ah, oh, I want to be there for that. John, your thoughts? Yeah, this was incredible. Like, the second I saw the names involved, I was just like, yep, this is going to be a great time. And it was the fastest 21 minutes on, like, this entire <laughs> card. Like, just from start to finish, all systems go. Opening with a Castagnoli, fucking Kingston standoff, just for Castagnoli to bitch out and bring in you, uh, Takeshita being fucking insane in this. I thought he'd killed Ishii at one point. <laughs> Umino got more of a shine in this match than he did in that entire six-minute affair with bloody Yoshitatsu. The Young Bucks, not Mr. Step. Hangman Adam Page, not Mr. Step. Everyone was just perfect for this match. They gave it away. everything. And yeah, Ishii got a big fucking win. Like, <laughs> that that moment I had to message you that I was like, holy shit, Ishii just won a big match. What is going on here? Yeah, he won the big match with the, the Brain Buster on Utah, Wheelie Utah. I mean, to be fair, as well, I thought, I didn't think he would get the win. I thought Wheeler was the guy that most likely to get pinned because he's the least experienced and smallest guy on the, on the, the, in the whole match. And he gets singled out. But this was rock and roll in this match all the way through. Proper gang warfare wrestling this was. Just absolutely great. Loved it to bits. Can't, can't say more about it. Just more of this, please, Tony. Nothing else. This is one of those matches you definitely need to watch from this card. It's just so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. Just absolutely that good. You should go see it. Next up, we have the AEW Women's World Championship. Tony Storm successfully defended against the New Japan Strong Women's Champion Willow Nightingale. 10 minutes and 27 seconds that left a lot more on the table, but I think a rematch is on the cards somewhere down the line for Miss Nightingale, who was exceptionally good, but they didn't really have enough time to get it really rocking, but it was good while it lasted. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, yeah, what do you think of this one, John? Yeah, it was a great match, and Again, Willow Nightingale is just one of those people you can't help but love. She is, like, one of the most over-wrestlers in the company. And you're just like, why do they only get 10 minutes? They were sandwiched between, like, two of the longest matches on the card, and they only caught 10 minutes. It feels like they should have been given a bit more time. Like, even if it was just 15 minutes, they'd have had a little bit more time to play with. And as you said, it feels like they're leaving it for a rematch where they probably will be given the time they should have had here. But for what mm. we got, it was pretty damn good. And yeah, Tony Storm and the gang are just really funny to watch. 
a lot of the time because they had just being dicks. I think, yeah, it has very much aura of um, WAW heels from what I've seen of WAW. It's very Norfolk. <laughs> with a bu- Norfolk, like Norfolk a with a budget. <laughs> Sorry? It's almost like a, a slightly less chaotic and violent version of like the AJW sort of heel groups where they would just yeah. turn up, mob the ring and throw shit at people. No, no one's getting stabbed with scissors, unfortunately. I'm done. I shouldn't say that. I well. covered that cage match this week. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, so that was that, really. I mean, it, it, it just, again, needs more time. And women's matches, on. I mean, it, it, they got a women's match on this guy, which they, you know, could nearly didn't. People were asking you at the press conference why why no stardom crossover. Um, and Tony's answer was they got a big show this weekend and they just couldn't spare the talent, which is fair enough. You can't have everything. Um, and you know they can't do a lot of stuff because of the amount of TGPW wrestlers they on their roster. <laughs> I'm Which... very surprised um, Mercedes Monet wasn't on here. I I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't because I think New Japan want to keep her to themselves. Which I think is fair enough. I have loads of people. I mean, Mike Freeland was saying that when she comes back out, comes back out of um, out from injury, she should. Announce her return at um, All In at Wembley. I'm like, why? He doesn't. She doesn't work for AEW. It's like, why would you announce that there? Why would you not announce it on a New Japan show where she's actually contracted to? But you know, yeah. What can you do? It's an odd one because you know AEW are chomping at the bit to get like get her. They yeah. want to. They want to feature her because if nothing else, it'll be a massive middle finger to the WWE. <laughs> But I don't think she's interested because I don't think no. she wants to grind. Because AEW is like, she, New Japan, she gets to call the shots. She'll be the highest paid female that company has ever had. She has to get to work with the entire styling roster and picks and chooses who she wrestles. She gets to pick with the New Japan strong roster and picks and chooses who she wrestles there and get paid an awful lot of money for it. And she doesn't have to work every Monday night and she doesn't have to grind on the road. Why would you work for AEW? I don't necessarily think she'd work for AEW. I just, I know AEW want to like feature her. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I'm like, if they, if she goes, that's going to cause you problems in your own locker room between those people who do have to work all of those dates. Um, mm. You know, it, it's like, and she's perfect with her eyes and she knows her worth. And she may give it a couple of years in New Japan and go, all right, then I'm ready to go back to doing the grind and AEW might be a place to go. Or, you know, Cody didn't. He went, When he came up to his contract, he went to WWE, back to WWE for reasons that he had unfinished business there and he's done really well from it. But I don't know. We'll see, won't we? Um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. But I'm not sure that AEW is the fit she wants right now. So we'll have to see, I suppose. Right then. This is going to be the contentious one, isn't it? It is for me, because you know what I'm going to say, because I've already told you. <laughs> oh. Will Ospreay uh, took the UIWGP United States Heavyweight Championship from Kenny Omega in the match that lasted 39 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, it's about 20 minutes too long for my particular take, and I don't think it was as good as the one there at Wrestle Kingdom, personally. But they didn't nearly kill themselves at Wrestle Kingdom, so I suppose it's safer. That bit I was happy about, but it just went on forever. And 
you know I'm not an Osprey fan, so anything above 20 minutes grates my patience to start with. Um, and there was other things as well in this match that were not great, like Callis being disqualified and then coming back later on. What was that all about? If you disqualified him, he's supposed to be gone, gone. So I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Human hot dog doesn't play by the rules. Sorry? Did you see that? The human hot dog doesn't play by the rules. Did you see that shirt? He was no, doing whatever the hell he wanted. <laughs> Fair enough, but it is just like the disqualify Osprey. Jump's done. That's it. It's like, you've got rules in force. I know New Japan aren't really lax with their rules and stuff, but it's like, when Bullet Club were all kicked out, they'd all go in the back and not come back out again. So, yeah, it just, there was execution that didn't make sense. Athletic effort, I can't complain about that. They did, like, put it all on the line in a match that was really important and added to the legacy in the way that they wanted to. But equally, could it be better? In my eyes, by doing less and just not being so overbooked and not being so convoluted and being 20 minutes shorter. Ideally, 36 minutes short would have been happy by me. But there you go. I think they could have done what they said they could have done in four minutes, but they can't do that because everyone's expecting it to be amazing, so therefore they have to go for the full hog. So I don't know, we'll see. And presumably there will be a rematch where Kenneth takes it back at Wembley because that's what happened because he lost the belt in Canada. I guess that would be part of the deal. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of moving things forward. But, you know, enough of me whining. What did you think? I love this. I <laughs> honestly love this. I love the New Japan match. I love that this one had so many like throwbacks to direct moments from the New Japan match where either the tables were turned or they still played out exactly the same because neither man had learned that lesson. We had another disgusting DDT, except this time it was on the steel steps. Both guys bled insanely hard, especially Osprey. We had the return of Elevated and Devil Sky, which, man, that takes me back. I fucking love that entrance music. And yeah, again, this normally when a match reaches this length, I'll start skipping through bits. I didn't touch the skip button once. I was hooked. And... I, I will admit I'm a massive Omega mark. I will watch will Os- Kenny Omega wrestle a broom. Osprey was pretty damn good in this as well, to be honest. It wasn't the typical Will Osprey match. He was forced to play by Omega's rules for a lot of it. And yeah, just I was enthralled. It was that damn fun. It was that damn brutal. And sure, again, I groaned a bit at the overbooking because I always do. But then again, Will Ospreay stabbed Kenny Omega in the head with a screwdriver. So we got some form of AJW stab spot. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that he he had the gall to bust out the one-winged angel as well and Omega just kicked out of it at one had me in stitches. (laughs) I saw some people complaining about that as well. <laughs> but, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't I don't Omega mean, doing the one-winged angel, so he can kick yeah. out of it. Yeah, Mark, who used to write for Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine, was complaining that like, you, you just ruined your own finisher. And I'm like, well, no, not really, because A, it's wrestling. And B, <laughs> you shouldn't take it so seriously. And B, because it's one you're... of the oldest rules in wrestling. It's like if another wrestler is doing your finisher on you, you can kick out of it because they didn't do it properly. Yeah, You've exactly. always got that built-in excuse. Yeah. It's never going to be as good as the original. So, yeah. 
But yeah, so I don't know. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, evil always gets pinned by other people doing everything he's evil on him, though, doesn't he? So, except against evil. Yeah, but that's evil, and he's kind of a joke at the moment. True. Um, But yeah, so there's that one. I'm guessing there's going to be a rematch. Not really that bothers myself. Well, there you go. I got everybody else. I don't know how they top this, though. Like, the New Japan match was 34 minutes. Maybe they weren't wrong, yeah. Maybe they won't. This one was 39 minutes. What's the next one going to be, like, 45 minutes? Oh, they just take it up five minutes each time. No, they'll go for over the hour so they can do with the Okada thing, I would guess. I don't know. That doesn't... The Omega Okada series doesn't need to be touched. Like, those matches are legendary in their own right. Like, yeah. I get that Osprey wants to be the new Kenny Omega to a degree and reach that level of stardom within, like, New Japan... But he can do it without copying the same formula Omega took. Like, he's already got it cemented here. He probably had it cemented before this series just because, obviously, he did put a lot of effort in during the pandemic. It's just... I, I don't I I like... disagree with that, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> he wasn't there for, like, the first three months of the pandemic because he couldn't travel anywhere. He had the IWGP title range lasted four months. And then he was off again with injury. I admit that he did have a card as champion, but I always goes like, oh, he worked so hard during the pandemic. I was like, but he couldn't have done because he wasn't there. I think I just had a Mandela effect moment where I misremembered history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, 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 I don't disagree that he did try hard. I mean, like, the championship run was a disaster anyway. It wasn't his fault. Uh, it, well, it was his fault because it opened with, um, you know, Attacking your girlfriend on an international platform, that's that's never good. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that was was horrifically bad about that, that championship run. But it was like, I'm, I'm like, the angle we always go with us, well, he did so much work during the pandemic. And I'm like, no, he didn't, because he did the New Japan Cup and he couldn't be there because you couldn't travel from the UK then. So I'm like, when? What? I don't know, it's an angle and stuff. But it is just like, I think that's the thing is you've got to be careful not to, like absorb commentary as fact <laughs> from time to yeah, time. I couldn't remember very well, so I was sort of just like, sure, I'll I'll go along with this. It's yeah. just, But that's the thing, that's, 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 that, but that's what they're supposed to do. And to be fair, on commentary, I thought uh, Excalibur, Kevin Kelly, and Tony Shinovani were great. And I thought that was yeah, really good. Yeah, they were the right pick for this. Yeah, I did speak, I did speak to someone this week who thought Shivani was terrible, and I was like, but you've got the, he's a play-by-play guy and you've got the two best play-by-play announcers in the wrestling world at the moment doing play-by-play. So anything he says is going to be redundant anyway. And he's giving you what someone who doesn't normally watch Japanese wrestling, he's giving you the reaction that they have. And that's not a bad thing because they are, lots of people watch Japanese wrestling and they're just like, whoa, you know, and that's what he was there for. You know, he, he, like you could tell how engrossed in the matches he was and how much he loves professional wrestling, even though professional wrestling hasn't dealt him a good hand down the years, especially in the last 20 years. He is like the superstar anchorman of AEW right now, but the guy didn't have a job in wrestling for 20 years because Vince didn't like him and didn't think he was good enough for WWE. So that was that. And he did go to impact wrestling and stuff. Do we talk about the Tiger Driver? Yeah, we should talk about the Tiger Driver. Oh, that was scary. Yeah, I... 
honestly, it scares me when Will tries stuff. And I'm sure he's like, he'd prep for it, he'd probably practiced it, and you know, all of these things. But there's a bunch of stuff he's done. He doesn't do that running, he doesn't do that standing, oh, sorry, running moonsault anymore ever since he took out Sonata's eyeball, you know. Um, he doesn't, there's a bunch of stuff that he perhaps should leave well alone. <laughs> and I, mm, apparently Omega was fine and he was all right with it and they, they were okay. But I, yeah, no. The second no. I saw him go to do the driver part, I was just like, wait, um, you might want to give it an extra. Oh, that's his head. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. It was just, no. That was an accordion moment and a half, but. Yeah. I, well, then, I yeah, but it, the grand. Karen, sorry. Go for it. I'll. Well, I was, was going to say, we were just been talking about AGW. And one of the things we all talk about is the pressure cooker that that created because you had the best wrestlers in the world trying to top each other on a weekly basis. And that's where you get shots like this from, like the Tiger Driver spot, which didn't really need to happen because they were already deep into the emotional storyline that they were trying to tell anyway. You didn't need it, but they were doing studies, doing stuff to try, they are doing stuff to try and top what they've done. And AJW doesn't exist anymore, so you have to watch that. And I think AW, I don't think AW do it very often, but you have got to watch like how far you go because if you go back to listen to the history of Japanese wrestling or the podcast we've done on ECW, the more risks you take and the more often you take them, the bigger issues you have in the long run about what constitutes the possibilities of professional wrestling. And, you know, I mean, we both love those matches between Minami Toyota and Nigel Kong, and we love the Megumi Kudo and Combat Toyota stuff. But those matches were special because it was a special time in pro wrestling, and arguably maybe the top 15 wrestlers of all time were all wrestling in the same companies who were wrestling each other all the time. And you're kind of getting back to that level again now because, hey, AEW guys can wrestle in New Japan, and New Japan guys can wrestle in CMLL and in, and in Impact Wrestling, and... You can have Impact Wrestling guests in AEW shows and all of this going back and forth. And it's great. It's a wonderful time to be a professional wrestling fan. But you have to be careful what you wish for because to make an impression, you have to take bigger and bigger risks because everybody else is doing things at the absolute limit of what's actually possible for those wrestlers to do. And it's their choices in their lives. And every wrestling match is an unethical proposition because you are watching somebody take risks with their lives every time they step in a professional wrestling ring. As is any form of sport, really, that isn't like that is full on contact. Like, I'm a motorcycle racing fan, but there's an ethical issue of the fact that it's an incredibly hard sport, it's incredibly difficult to do, and can end in fatalities. And thankfully, pro wrestling isn't like that as much as it used to be. Um, but yeah, it, I'm sorry, I'm winding on here a little bit. I am concerned that when you have a pressure cooker situation like these two are in, because arguably they're trying to create the best wrestling matches ever been, you aren't going to cause yourself issues in the long term. Just a thought. What's your thoughts on it? Any more thoughts I, on that? I, under, I understand why they went for it, because obviously Osprey was doing like his Noah tribute act with all the sort of Kawada kicks <laughs> and the 
everything. So it, it fit in with the sequence. It's just, I wish you'd taken an extra second on it. Yeah. <laughs> because as I was just watching it, I'm like, oh, this ain't going to go right. This ain't going to go. Oh, that was on his head. Yeah. I, well, something that was much more fun was the next match, which was light filler fluff. But it was good light it's filler fluff. Cage match. Sorry? What is yeah. wrong with cage matches? 5.15. I, I don't know. It's a special moment when Tetsuya Nato tags with Sting and Darby Allen. Well, with Sting. <laughs> uh, and Minoru Suzuki tagged with the Jericho Appreciation Society, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. This went for 15 minutes and 9 seconds and was a thoroughly enjoyable blast from beginning to end. And it got me back into the show, to be honest with you, because I'd, I'd kind of like drifted off after Osprey and Omega. Um... And so this just kind of like, hey, it's Tetsuya Nato tagging with someone who isn't in LIJ. And not only doing that, but doing a good job. And they did a bunch of LIJ spots. It's like Sting could slip into LIJ anytime he wants to because he's just that good. He took out, he did all the stuff Bushy normally did. Not necessarily like shotgun drop kicks and stuff, but all, all of the strikes that, that um, uh, Bushy would normally do. Sting did them as NATO set him up, set them up for him. It was just great to watch. It was just like I could watch this all day. Sting in Lij, I want to see that now. <laughs> um, and you know, Jericho Appreciation Society, you've got to have good bad guys, and these were good, definitely good bad guys. It was cool. I enjoyed this. What did you think of this, John? Sting is sixty-four years old. How the fuck is he still moving like this? I don't know. The fact you're throwing good himself Christian through tables. Christian in there, John. And so many, like, it's like that few years he had to take off because of his neck have just rejuvenated him entirely to the point that, yeah, he could just fit into LIJ and manage to keep up with all of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, really we're not suggesting this. that you have Seth Rollins drop you on your head um, for for health reasons. Yeah, Karen. I don't know, maybe when I reach my 50s, I'll get him to twat me against the turnbuckle and see how it happens, <laughs> see how I fare. But yeah, it's just, this was fun. That's all it needed to be, and it's what it was. Again, the amount of risks Sting takes is just insane. It's like he, he got matched with Darby Allen because they've both got just a sheer lack of care for their own bodies. <laughs> True. Just, Suzuki fit, fit right in as well, because he was just being Suzuki, and everyone was feeding him. Chris Jericho is obviously having the time of his life, sort of just being, like, another great dickhead among, like, amongst all these, like, top stars and just young talent and all that. He's fitting right in with where he should be. It's And he got to team with Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, this is it. It's just good. Just solid stuff. The continuing baby first turn of Sammy Guevara continues as Chris Jericho forces him to do stuff he's not comfortable with. And it is going to be very hard for Sammy Guevara to be a baby face whilst, you know, being a newborn dad. Um, so we'll see, I guess. Um, but yeah, especially as like... It's going to be uh, hard for Sammy Guevara to be a baby face full stop. Yeah. It's going to be hard for him to be a baby face, you mean? Yeah, I just can't buy him as one he's just no. got the look of a dickhead and so it's like i you just expect him to be a dickhead he does 
but again, it is just like I think they're trying to get on the baby face. He was very popular for quite some time, but they kind of like ran out his welcome, didn't he? So yeah, yeah. Anywho, shall we go to the main event? Because oh, this, this was <laughs> such a surprise. Like this was just not expected. So, uh, the main event, which was essentially for the championship of best professional wrestler in the world today. Brian Danielson wrestled Kazuchika Okada under AEW rules and took a win in 27 minutes and 47 seconds in a match that absolutely had everything you could possibly want in a professional wrestling match. Overselling in some spots, some would argue, but I thought this was breathlessly good. Um, I think this is probably the match that Omega Osprey wanted to be, but done with much less effort. What did you think of it, John? Yeah, it certainly had a lot more restraint than its predecessor. And I love seeing unhinged Okada, who is essentially just there to re- like out-wrestle someone, so he just goes at it like the bloody Terminator. I've never seen him attempt so many raid makers and get slapped down for it. Even as bloody Brian Danielson has a broken arm, he's still slapping away bloody Rainmakers. <laughs> or kneeing away Rainmakers, or running under Rainmakers to knee Okada in the face again. Is he's like, you don't learn your lesson, Okada, this is going to keep happening. But he will. And that's the thing. He'll learn his lesson. And that's what I want to know, what happens next. I have a feeling this is going to get a rematch too, and I think the rematch will be at Wrestle Kingdom. Because it keeps Akada oh, it, it keeps Akada out of the main event, which is what they need to do. They need to keep him occupied with main event level matches that aren't the main event because they need to make money. <laughs> but they've got to give Sonata and whoever else a chance to actually get over in the main event slot so they can have all the main eventers because they're stuck. And this may be the best way of doing it. <laughs> So he has a good G1, he maybe gets to the semi-final and loses, or he has a good G1 and loses out on the last night, and then Dan then challenges Danielson at Wrestle Kingdom, so he has something to do. I think that's the best way forward, isn't it? Sounds like a solid plan forward, and I mean, I'd happily watch those two go at it again. This shit was fun as hell. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think this is kind of genre-defining professional wrestling. It's a whole other thing. And I think this this is just something that oh, I just love this match. I cannot stress how much I love this match. Now, some people did point out, um, Kath Barbado uh, on Twitter did point out that watching a guy who's had many concussions and neck injuries convulsing in a wrestling match is not fun, especially when he was only doing it as uh, something to lure a card in, which I think is perfectly reasonable to say. Um, the, 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 the twitching and such and you know it's part of Danielson's sense of humour because he has got a dark sense of humour but was it necessarily probably not but it's something that Danielson's wanted to do this kind of like realism that he can bring to a wrestling match that he couldn't do in WWE it's one of the reasons why he left WWE for AEW so this is the kind of wrestling he wanted to do and this is the kind of wrestling he's expecting and honestly, yeah, can't can't wait to see this one again. This is like leave them wanting more. And God, I want more, 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 more. I want them to wrestle every week. I know it's not going to happen, but you know, this, this it's an age-old story. If you can tell the story right, I told you the story about Burt Royal and Cyril Mann. 
uh, Doncaster uh, drill hall. So Silverman was like the local hero in Doncaster. He was the, the top middleweight in Doncaster. And Burt Royal was perennial British middleweight champion. And they wrestled each other to a six-round draw. And the next month they came back. And four months in a row, or, well, I think it was, they used to be doing it every two weeks. And for, for two months in a row, they wrestled each other to a six-round draw. And it was packed out every time. Because they were the best two middleweights in the country. And that's sometimes is all you need. And that's, that's the thing. It's just how you do it. You can do it on a small scale like that, or you can do it on a big scale like this. But you can make it work with the right guys who know just enough in the match to make it work and come back to it later. And this compels me to want to watch more of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say. Because you know, having followed a car, that he will not rest till he's proven he's the best professional wrestler in the world. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this match, John? I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. It was just exceptional what it is, and I do hope we get another one because it's going to be really bloody fun to see them try and like top that. I mean, it's also the styles as well. You know, there's like you know Ultimo Dragon and Steve Regal. There is two polar opposite training mentors as you could possibly imagine. And the New Japan Dojo and the WWE Performance Center, or the well, whatever it was that yeah, it would be the it wasn't the Performance Center then, was it? It was um, FCW. You know, there's those two farm systems that they went through to become the wrestlers that they've become. There's a lot of different stories to tell within those two wrestling kind of idioms. You know, a purebred wrestler that was trained by a purebred wrestler versus a purebred wrestler that was trained by a high flyer and a, and a lucha guy and, and the effect that had on Okada as a wrestler and the drop kicks in this match. Oh, the drop kicks from Okada were just perfection. Like the best he's ever delivered in any match anywhere. And it's just, you know, they are made for each other. It was a little bit squeaky to start with once they got going. Just magic. Absolute magic. Can't say enough about this match. And there you go. And that covers Forbidden Door. What was your overall thoughts on the show? And I'm going to ask you this, because I think this is important, in comparison to last year's show. I enjoyed this one a lot more. I'm not sure why, I just gelled with it a lot more. I sort of, I didn't really feel the need to skip about. I didn't keep tabbing out. I didn't really sort of get bored with this one. Again, most things worked perfectly. Almost everything was fun. And it just... It feels like they have a better understanding of what they want to do with these shows. The first Forbidden Door was like this big spectacle. It's like, oh, it's AEW and New Japan working together. This time it's like, oh, they've done it before. They've ironed out most of the kinks. And this time we're just going to get like a purely fun... Still doesn't necessarily push storylines, but we've left plenty on the table to play with and we have potential things we can go back to yeah i think you're right there i mean um i i actually enjoyed the first one better than this one i think as an overall show and i think that was partly down to the fact they were backed into a corner last year because they had so many people who were off like they had no punk they had no danielson um so it wasn't really like, wasn't ideal with their booking. So they had to be really creative with what they did. 
and there were surprises on that show, like booking casting Noli and getting him back into wrestling again. Um, and so I think the overall kind of like effects of the last show was better than this one, but there was bigger moments in this this particular show. There was bigger stories. There was bigger matches as well. It was kind of like what everybody wanted Forbidden Door to be last year, but not what it was. But what it was was great. Or in this year, it was like, this is the kind of dream match concept that we kind of wanted to do last year, but we couldn't do because the guys we wanted to have dream matches with were off injured. So therefore, we couldn't have them. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's that's where we're at. So um, we will have to call it for today. We hope you've enjoyed our coverage of the Forbidden Door. Um, uh, where can we find you on the internet, John? And are you going to any alternative routes now that Twitter appears to be problematic for more than several reasons? And I'm looking at them, but we'll see what happens. For now, you can find me at Twitter handle John Deathman. I'll be one of your 600 tweets a day, unless you're giving Elon Musk eight dollars, in which case I'll be one of your 6,000 tweets a day, because you know that makes a grand load of difference, you stupid prick. You can find me at John underscore Deathman on Instagram, which is essentially the same as you get on Twitter, just with more pictures. And if you're feeling especially nice, you can find me on Patreon at the Deathmatch Digest, where you'll get a mix of free and paid-for content looking at the wild world of Deathmatch. There you go. You can follow me at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter and Sheriff Lonestar TX. I'm also Sheriff Lonestar on Mastodon as well. You can find the show Trooping Show on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Facebook for Trooping Show and on Patreon um, where you keep Trooping Show free forever for everyone. Uh, Worldwide Wrestling News, which is the organisation myself and John are part of, uh, you can find them on Twitter at World3WWrestling. Uh, as we talked about that, uh, today we had some interviews with the stars of World Wrestling Federation, as they used to say, World Wrestling Entertainment, as Humza was at Money in the Bank and uh, had a chat with people like Shayna Basler. And um, uh, Selena Vega and Bailey, Bailey, Santos, yes, Bailey, all the people I don't know because I don't watch WWE. But then, <laughs> yes, so yeah, it's cool stuff. There's good news there. Uh, go talk, go talk to them. Um, go see them and go see the interviews that we got over there. Um, yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Yesterday was Glate version six from Tokyo City Hall. And we'll be looking at the build-ups of that with three shows. We're doing a three for a triple header, myself and Marcus on Glate next week. We'll be there. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.